This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. Our series entitled Getting Past Your Past. Getting past your past. And so before we go any further, what I want to do is I want to take a moment and talk about the why. Uh, The why of this series. And here's the why. The past isn't something that we just study. It's not something that we just study in school. It's not something that we uh, watch on a documentary. It's not something we just read about in an old dusty book. We all have a past. We all have a past, and it doesn't just kind of follow us along like a little string that kind of says, okay, well, you were here, and then you were there. It's not distant. So many times our past shapes our future. So often our past acts sometimes like a heavy weight around us, pulling us backwards, slowing us down, oftentimes even bringing our life to a halt, to a stop. As my role as a pastor, I get to sit down and just talk with people a lot. And whether that's in some kind of important life moment or just over a cup of coffee, once we get past the pleasantries and we really start having a conversation, I can't tell you how often the past comes up. How often the past comes up in these real conversations. You can see people weighted with guilt. You can see them weighted down with sadness with, as they think about past failures. You can even see some of their dreams begin to dim as they think about their past. That's the power that our past so often plays in our life. I can look back at my past, my failures. And so many times they can creep up on me and they want to jump on my back and slow me down, stop me just like you. This isn't just my problem or your problem. It's a human problem. We all have kind of this, uh, these issues with the past. And one of the things that we have been trying every week to say to you, we want you to hear clearly from not just my words, but from Scripture, is God has something to say about this. God has something to say about our past. He has something to say to us. So far in this series, just a little recap here. We've talked about three ways God speaks to us. Three things he talks to us about our past, about us getting past our past. In week number one, uh, the very first week, we talked about this idea of labels. How, you know, maybe years ago, maybe it was high school, maybe it was before, maybe it was after, we pick up some kind of label. Maybe it was a good label even, but we spent our whole life trying to kind of achieve it. We feel like we've all had all these expectations on us, or maybe it was a, a negative label. And so we've carried around this negative image of ourselves, some aspect of us. 
It hasn't been this passive thing. It's shaped us. And so what we talked about in week number one is how we need to take God's labels and put it right over the top of those labels we've picked up in our past. And the challenge from the scripture, the challenge from the words that week was simple. It was simple. Believe what God says about me. Believe what God says about you more than anybody else. Even ourselves. It's a challenge from week one. That's how we uh, get past, uh, past labels. We have to believe what God says about us more than what other people say about us. Second kind of thought that we worked on in this idea in this series of getting past our past was sometimes in the past things happen to us. Somebody's wronged us and we carry resentment, we carry bitterness, and it kind of holds on to us. And Jesus says, I have an antidote for that. It's called forgiveness. And really in this second week, what we talked about was the question Why do we forgive? And when we go to Scripture, the answer couldn't be more clear. In fact, this was one of the weeks I just encouraged you. I said, hey, Google forgiveness in the Bible. You'll see verse after verse after verse that essentially says the same thing. We forgive because Jesus forgave us. We forgive because Jesus forgave us us. When we experience the overwhelming forgiveness and grace of God, we want to share that with other people. Not because it's easy, but because we are so grateful that we have received forgiveness. We summed up this idea of forgiveness with just the simple idea that forgiven people Forgive people. Forgiving people, forgive people. It comes out of the forgiveness that we have received. Not because we are good, not because we are better than somebody else, but because Jesus forgave us, it empowers us to forgive others. It flows out of that forgiveness. Third idea that we talked about was this call this call that Jesus puts on all of us to be peacemakers. We talked about this last week. This comes directly from Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, where Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. And we spent a lot of time last week talking about the distinction between being a peacekeeper, passive, and being a peacemaker, active. God calls us to the active part. He calls us to be actively making peace. That means that we're not looking to avoid hard conversations. We're not looking to avoid difficult situations. We are actively seeking ways in our lives, in others, to seek justice and wholeness. How we talked about this 
kind of in a practical sense was this um, challenge from Pastor Craig Rochelle that he gave his church. He said, I want you to be first. If you remember, he said, this is what that means. The first to apologize is the bravest, the first to forgive, the strongest, the first to forget, the happiest. Now, if we did all of those things, all three of those things, we would have moved a long way in our life of getting past our past, but there's still something missing. Today, what we want to talk about is how we get past personal failures, personal failures, things that we've done, things that we have messed up that that feel like an anchor still wrapped around us, holding us back. This week, I was doing some uh, research on this idea of of failure, and uh, I discovered something I'd never seen before. There's a website called um, uh, Wall Street 24-7, normally just tracks the uh, stock market, gives tips, that kind of stuff. I don't know anything about it. If it's good, bad, don't go to it for those reasons. But they had this list, you know, Time Magazine, several other uh, places, they have the 50 most influential people. They said, we got tired of making that list. They started making a different list, the opposite list, the 50 biggest failures of the year. So they tracked CEOs, people of notoriety, athletes, celebrities, and and they said, here are the 50 ones that have made the biggest fall. Now take a deep breath. I checked. My name wasn't on the list. Your names weren't on the list. But I fear, right, that's more because they didn't know us rather than because we didn't deserve it. Because we weren't really in the running. Because we all have failures. We all have failures. We can look back at, at times in our life, decisions that we've made, and all of a sudden those feelings can flood back over us of defeat deficiency. Hear me when I say this. One of the most shocking truths of Christianity, one of the most shocking truths of Christianity is why our failures mortify us, while they seem to uh, want to define us in our value, while um, uh, they, we like to think about them as disqualifying us. Oh, I could never do that. I couldn't uh, do this because of my past. For God, none of that is at play. For God, none of it is shocking. For God, none of it has to be disqualifying or defining Author Rick Taylor says it like this. Satan wants to use your messes to defeat you and make you give up. That's where most of us live. God uses your messes as an opportunity to train you to be more like him. What I find even more compelling What I find even more compelling is the lengths God will go to to teach this 
lesson to us. The links God goes to and how he, he repeats that message again and again in Scripture. Because even if you kind of just take a cursory look at the Bible, you're flying at 30,000 feet and you're just trying to kind of catch the storyline and the main characters, what you're going to find is not good, faithful people acting bravely and honorably. It's not what you'll find. You'll find people who have failed and failed and failed and failed. People who have done terrible things, terrible sins, and then God gets a hold of them and he turns their life around and he uses them for his good purposes. We see that happen again and again in the life of the scriptures. Character after character is like that. In fact, there are more than a few people in the Bible who would have qualified for the 50 biggest failures of that year. One of them is a character named Gideon. Now, Gideon is famous in the Bible for allowing God to uh, whittle his army of 32,000 men down to 300 and taking them up against the Midianites, an army of 135,000 and winning. That is Gideon's claim to fame in Scripture. That's the part we typically focus on, but so often we skip the story before the story. The story before the story. Here is that story. That's what I want you to hear this morning. Here's just some context of where we're at in Scripture. People of Israel, they have already uh, been through the um, uh, desert. They've wandered for 40 years. They've conquered the promised land. Joshua has brought them in. In short, God's people have been saved in a big, big way. But they still have one big problem. The Midianites. This is a a period called the Judges where God would oftentimes uh, uh, come in a special way on some individuals and he would help lead Israel out of times of trouble. They didn't have a king at this point. This is Judges chapter 6. I'm going to read several verses here. Just listen this morning. It's not going to be on the screen behind you. Just hear these words. Judges chapter 6. This is starting in verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hand of the Midianites. And because of the power of Midian, and it was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts and caves and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted anything, whenever they had crops in the ground, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the other eastern people, they would invade the country. In verse 4, and they camped on the land and they ruined the crops all the way to Gaza. They destroyed everything, took anything they wanted, and they did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkey. They came up with their livestock in their tents like swarms of locusts, the Midianites. It was impossible to count the men and the camels. They invaded the land and they ravaged it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord 
for help. I want to just make sure we've got that picture in our minds. These are the people of Israel who God had just brought through the desert. They had conquered the promised land in these miraculous ways, miracle after miracle that had continued on that journey. And here they are hiding in their homeland, hiding in the promised land. And in the midst of these overwhelming odds with the Midianites kind of raining turmoil and trouble on them, God turns to this unlikely character, this man named Gideon. Skipping down to verse 11 this morning. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrath. They belonged, that belonged to Joash the Abizaite. When his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites... When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in strength, you ha- go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. I am sending you. Then verses 15 and 16, but Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon's hiding. He's scared to death. The angel comes to him, says, Hey, brave warrior! Gideon's hiding here. He doesn't seem very brave to me. One commentator explains kind of what uh, gets described there, trying to um, uh, separate the, the chaff from the wheat uh, in the wine press. He describes it like uh, in the morning trying to make a cup of coffee with a thimble. It's kind of this ridiculous idea to, to separate the chaff from the wheat. You needed a wide open spaces and you would kind of break it apart and then the wind would sweep in and take the chaff away. That couldn't happen down in a hole in the ground this desperate situation that's getting described here. And Gideon, beyond just hiding, he's got excuses. Not to mention, Gideon says, hey, my family, we are the weakest tribe in all of Israel. That's been made really clear to us. And me, I'm the weakest in my family. Yeah, to put this in a way that we would understand, hey God, when, when the whole group of Israel, when the, all the people of Israel get to play, get together to play dodgeball, I'm the last one picked. I'm the one that say, no, you have to take him. I'm the least. Nobody wants me. And then verse 16. 
God responds, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. And all of a sudden, what was unthinkable, undoable on his own with God, Gideon becomes unstoppable. And with just 300 men, he defeats the Midianites. And that's how the story ends, and that's how the part we focus on. But remember, that's not how it started. Gideon, it starts with Gideon hiding in a hole. By any definition, that's failure, right? He's hiding in a hole, and yet God didn't allow this failure, this overwhelming fear that Gideon experienced to define what he saw in Gideon or how Gideon could be used. I love verse 12. When the angel calls out, Hey, Gideon, mighty warrior, can't you just see Gideon looking around? Who are you talking to? Who, who's this mighty warrior? All I see, all the world sees is failure. God sees different. God sees different. That's my first question I really want you to spend some time pondering and wrestling with in your heart today. Can you believe that God sees different? Can you believe that when God looks at you, he sees, not like the world sees, not like other people sees, not like other people have said about you, things they have said about you, not even the things you see when you look in the mirror, God sees different. That was the first thing that Gideon had to understand That when God looked at him, he saw differently than anyone else had ever seen him. God didn't see the failures that we see. He sees a mighty warrior. He looks at us, he sees faithful mother, a brilliant believer, a million other things. We're told in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins that he is faithful, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from our unrighteousness. Paul adds, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. God doesn't say these things to just a few people. He says it to all of us, to all of us. So do we, what do we do with this? What do we do with the story of Gideon? What do we do with this idea of God and and not looking at us like we look at ourselves, like other people look at us? What do we do when we have 
personal failure in our life that feels like a weight. It's holding us back. It's not allowing us to move forward. First thing that we do. In the Bible, a new chapter, a new day, a new perspective on life is always preceded by repentance. It always starts with repentance. This moment we said, you know what, God? I have messed things up. I have I've made this mistake. I have sinned in this way. I don't want that to be how my life is lived any longer. I want you, Lord. I want you. That's how new perspectives, new days, that's how new faith begins. Anything new we want God to do in our life always begins with repentance. There's a couple things, though, we also have to believe. We have to believe a couple of things. Here's the first one. Your biggest sins are not too big for God's grace. Your biggest sins are not too big for God's grace. Jeremiah 31, 34 says this, For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. No matter what failure, no matter what sin, no matter what thing is holding you back, no no matter how big it feels to you, God's grace God's forgiveness is bigger. We have to come to believe that. If we are ever going to get past our personal failures, we have to believe that God's grace, God's forgiveness is bigger than any failure, any sin we have. Second thing. We have to believe this morning, if we're going to get past our past failures, is you can't change your past, but Christ can change your future. Christ can change your future. Proverbs 24, verse 16, for though the righteousness fall seven times, they rise again. They rise again. Again, there comes a point, there comes a point where after we've received God's grace, after we come to really understand and believe that God's grace is, his forgiveness is bigger than any sin, any mistake in my past, there comes a point where we have to step out in faith, step out in faith. And believe that God has greater plans for us. We talked as we got started this morning about how if you just kind of looked just a quick view of the Bible, you would see story after story of people who failed and then God used in miraculous ways. Just a very short list. This list could be way, way longer. 
Moses, this dominant character in the Old Testament, murdered man, fled in fear. But with faith, he stood before Pharaoh and he demanded the people of Israel be let go. King David ran for his life, committed adultery, tried to cover it up, and yet with faith, he built Israel into a great nation. He's counted as one after God's own heart. Peter, Jesus' disciple, in the critical moment and where Jesus is on trial for his life, he denies ever knowing Jesus. And yet Jesus says, this is the one on whom I'll build my church. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, the short little guy from the New Testament, from the songs. He steals, he embezzles from everyone. And he has one encounter with Jesus. He gives away half of his fortune. He pays back anyone he has wronged four times what he took. Every one of those characters. So many more in the Bible. Started out with these huge failures. Their past is littered with failure big failures, not little things, big things. At some point, God gets a hold of their heart. some point, God gets a hold of their life. And he begins to write a new story. They step out into faith, into the new plans God has for them. Today is a great day to take those steps. You pray with me about that. Lord, as we think about getting past our past, God, we turn our minds to our past failures, not just things that happened to us, not just labels that we have carried. Those are all important things, God, but there are failures in our past, sin in our past, God, and our mind is riddled with them. And these things for so long, they have acted like anchors holding us back. And God, as we have opened up your scripture and we have looked at the story of Gideon, as we have kind of cursory looked at uh, uh, so many of these other characters and we have seen how there's this tremendous failure, this moment of faith, in this ways that you use these people in new, tremendous ways. God, I don't know why you would write that in the Bible again and again and again if that wasn't the story that you could write in our hearts and in our lives. This morning, I don't know what failures people are holding back, what pieces of their life have just kind of wrapped around them and they haven't been able to shake free of it. No matter what they do, God, we know what your scripture tells us. Your scripture tells us to name it, to repent of it, to say, God, you know what? I I no longer want to be defined by this. I want to be defined by you. 
are faithful to who you say you are, that you can forgive us. And so God, we know that your scripture tells us that if we do those things, new life, new faith begins to be planted in us. God, as we think about moving forward, so many lessons for you to teach us. God, we need to believe. We need to believe that your grace, that your forgiveness is bigger than any mistake, any sin we have made. Those can't just be words that come out of our mouth. Those can't be just things that we say, that's nice and I believe it for the other people, but for me it doesn't work. That's not the truth. God, we have to believe it for us. My prayer, Lord, is that if there are people here in this morning who, uh, in this room this morning, who have trouble believing that truth, my prayer is that your spirit just sweeps through them, sweeps through their heart and convinces them this morning. us to live tomorrow with more faith than today. Help us to get past our past. In your wonderful and powerful name we pray.